Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to the Hash. It is a Monday. We are glad you're here. New week, same us. Zach, Wendy, Jen, Will. We're going to get this thing going. Jen has our first story of the day, an update on FTX. What's up? All right, let's go. So court documents show that around 117 parties are interested in buying FTX units. While the bankruptcy case could take years, the estate has prioritized the sale of LedgerX, FTX Japan, FTX Europe, and Embed. It's argued that these are the easiest to separate and have a risk of losing value if not sold quickly. Will... I'll toss it off to you first. What do you make of this news? You think we're going to see some sales anytime soon? I don't know. It looks like the auction deadline is pretty quick, though. So we're going to see some pretty fast decisions. And a lot of people want these companies because they're actually profitable. So FTX did have a lot of companies. And some of those were not just the bad eggs that we saw uh, spoiling down in the Bahamas. Some of these were actually solvent firms making money. The crown of that, of course, being Ledger X, the, the derivative firm within the US that is highly compliant and regulatory, uh, like overwatched by the US government. So it's okay business to keep standing up. It's also profitable from my understanding. So yes, people want to purchase these things. And they want to purchase them soon because the whole market is tanking. So you want to sell it sooner rather than later if this crypto winter continues to get worse. And that is because these trustees have the obligation to get as much money back on behalf of the customers of FTX. So going to try to sell these. The thing that complicates this, of course, is the Department of Justice looking around for any malfeasance. So if you look in this article, you see that none of the businesses that have any sort of ties or financial ties to Sam Bankman fried his family, Caroline Ellison, and the likes are going to be considered for sales. Of course, there's some other businesses involved in here. FTX Japan, FTX Europe are some that are also noted in here. And then there's some I'm just wondering about myself, which probably in these documents like Blockfolio, are they going to be up for sale? Probably are. Of course, hopefully this money goes back to affected FTX customers. Wendy, I'll throw it up to you. Okay, so a couple of things I want to comment on. The thing with Blockfolio is, is that I think they merged over to the FTX US app and you're actually able to buy and sell cryptocurrency there. 
But the way that they ran it was super on the up and up. Like there's barely anything to trade over there. I think you could trade like Bitcoin, Solana, Ethereum, and Dogecoin, something like that. But I do like to see the progress with this because if we take a look at other similar Chapter 11 bankruptcy cases, it feels like they're just moving so slow. And the sooner that they get these out, the better. Plus, I want to kind of go back to my bar story is that, for example, in California, if you want to open a bar, what you have to do is, is or it's a lot easier to purchase a bar that's already licensed and regulated than acquiring your own license because it costs a lot more money. And if companies and other entities are going to purchase these companies and entities from FTX, they're already licensed and regulated to operate out of the areas they are. So it makes complete sense as a business. But then again, I don't think that this money is going to go to creditors. It's going to go to the secured creditors first. But before it goes to secured creditors, it is actually going to go to the attorneys to cover all the fees. And again, there's going to be a lot, a lot of attorney's fees here. Well, I remember when FTX was going around acquiring all of these companies and licenses, and we were saying, you know, FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried is smart for not going into different jurisdictions and applying for these licenses, acquiring companies that has them. And it seems that he wasn't as smart as we thought he was. You know, notably, FTX US isn't on this list. When Sam Bankman-Fried was doing his PR run, he said FTX US, to his knowledge, is fully solvent. He doesn't know why it's tied up in this Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We heard from John J. Ray III in the hearing. Maybe I'm wrong. Zach's kind of going to fact check me after. I can see in his facial expressions. But last year, we saw John J. Ray III in his hearing address this, saying questions have been raised as to why all of the FTX group companies were included in the Chapter 11 filing, particularly FTX US. And he said the answer is because FTX US was not operated independently of FTX.com and protection was necessary to prevent a run on the bank. Zach, please fact check me what I get wrong. It's just hard to fact check just a web of lies, you know? It's hard to know what's what. Like, can you really fact check? You sound like the anchorman. You literally sound like the anchorman. Was that the movie where Will Ferrell was like, I'm swimming in a pool of lies? Yeah. Last case of emotion. Yes, 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 yes. We've all studied Anchorman in detail over the years. Okay. That's how they got the job for the show is they, you had to watch the Anchorman before you could apply to work at CoinDesk. They wouldn't hire you. Yes. Yes. And they're like, which group would you represent in the rumble of the Anchorman with the violence and the sword fights? All right. Anyway, we digress. No, I want to go back to the Ledger X. Ledger X out here, like looking real good. They emerged as sort of the cleanest asset on the FTX books, right? Ledger X played nicely with the CFTC, was obviously the most regulated onshore aspect of the FTX empire. And as such, it seems to be the most coveted in these proceedings from the 117 or so folks who want in on some slice of the FTX pie. I think also going back to the license shopping stuff, you know, FTX Japan, FTX Europe, that's stuff that's going to be a value to people as well. So I think this bidding process is going to be interesting to see who wins those licenses. Because especially in Japan, the licensing process is especially onerous, difficult, and regulators there are extremely cautious. So the fact that that becomes up for grabs is something that obviously I think should court interest. I just want to go get a bar license with you, Wendy. I mean, we can go license shopping too in California for like a restaurant. Maybe that's the move. Forget this. Yeah, me. Taco bar. um, With every... Yeah, with every beer purchase, you get a little cup of hash browns for the hash. Coindesk, please fund this venture. Thank you. And each of those things of hash browns comes with an NFT so that you can enjoy your hash Mm. browns in the metaverse. Yum. Sounds terrible, but I love it. I'm all in. Where do I sign? (laughs) Let's get this thing going. All right. I think I have the next story of the day. I will take it and I will run with it. We are going to turn to the banking sector. Metropolitan Bank is 
nuke in its crypto business. Remember when crypto was really hot and a bunch of banks rushed to service the sector? Well, crypto's not so hot anymore. FTX imploded. Regulators are warning banks not to deal with this stuff. And in turn, banks are not dealing with this stuff. Metropolitan Bank is one of those. They had about four or five, I think, uh, institutional crypto customers. They said, you know what? This is more trouble than it's worth. We're, we're just nuking the crypto aspect of our business. Them, uh, I think, uh, Customers Bank here in Pennsylvania, several others sort of rushed to fill this niche. And now we're seeing some, as evidenced by Metropolitan, rushing to exit it. What does it all mean? This is obviously a crypto winter story. The tourists seem to be leaving from the banking sector. I toss it to Will. What do you got? Yes, yeah, briefly back to 2020, when we're talking about a lot of different exchanges or a lot of different exchanges going to banks, a lot of different banks coming to the crypto sector trying to court new customers, right? Because this was the talk of the town at that time. This was institutions coming into crypto, banks coming into crypto, everyone wanting to be above board and regulated. And so there was a lot of talk of your Coinbase, which bank are you going to end up with and which bank are you going to court? And which bank is going to accept you? These were things that dominated headlines in 2020 and 2021. Now we're post-bull, we're looking to bear market and banks are, hmm, maybe that wasn't the best idea to get involved with that industry because there's a lot of uh, hyper-financialization, a lot of Ponzi schemes, and a lot of wreckage and carnage. They just don't want to be a part of. Another headline we, we have here from the block talks about three federal regulators issuing warnings to the banking sector about their involvement with crypto. That's the Federal Reserve, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation all put out a warning recently saying, maybe don't be involved with crypto right now. Or if you are going to be involved with it, make sure you are working with a team that is above board and following regulations. This, of course, comes after FTX, right? Because FTX talks so much about being uh, regulated, talks so much about being compliant. And at the end of the day, they were not. And that's why customers are not whole at this moment. So I think this is a lot of the further FTX contagion. And Jen, just like the last story, we are going to see this over the next two years or so, mm-hmm. just continue to be the talk of everyone. Throw it up to Wendy, though, for your take. So it's really frustrating to see... I forget what, what agency it was that came out and said, don't, um, don't offer crypto services unless you're working with a very experienced team. This is so frustrating to me because how are people supposed to have experience with crypto regulation when we really don't have any? I'm going to say that again. How are we supposed to work with an experienced team? How's a big business supposed to work with an experienced team if there's no real crypto regulation in play? We have some, but again, like FTX was supposed to be one of the most heavily regulated exchanges and look what happened. So it's very frustrating for me to see this continue to happen. Regulators have done nothing. And at the same time, I think it's very... I understand why the banks are starting to exit from crypto because there's so much risk right now with all the craziness. But at the same time, it's kind of lazy behavior because we're pretty positive there's going to be another bull market and they're going to have to go through this entire process again when the bull market comes. However, they could be doing this to help save some money and not get in any trouble. I don't know. I think it's stupid. Zach? Yeah, I mean, on the commercial side, right? Silvergate also is looking real bad right now. So I guess uh, in the wake of that, it makes sense that some of the smaller players, again, this is a small slice of their business. You know, They make sure that that fact is known in the press release announcing their thing. But in the wake of Silvergate also getting hammered in the public markets, a lot of these commercial banks are looking for the exits. That said, like some of the big boys like Fidelity are actually like really ramping up their crypto offering, right? They have Fidelity Crypto. They're putting it in your brokerage account. That's long sort of been a dream of a lot of Bitcoin advocates to at least have some version of highly custodial crypto in uh, the brokerage accounts of retiree, aspiring retirees everywhere, right? So I think that uh, we have this interesting moment where there's some smaller players in the banking sector who are obviously leaving because there's too much risk. While at the same time, some of the bigger players potentially are doubling down on what their crypto offerings end up looking like. So I think to me, that's sort of the interesting thing is the folks who stay, the folks who go, 
the tourists, the natives. It's a dynamic that we see play out time and time again with these cycles. And certainly this appears to be the case of this happening again. Uh, Jen, any last thoughts on this one? Yeah, that was exactly my question. What's going to happen to the Fidelities and the JP Morgans? Because I remember not long ago, I was thinking, you know, despite what's happening in this market, the banks are still here. The, the institutions are still here. And I think that's a really good sign. But now we're seeing these smaller banks, boards, look at what's going on, looking at what regulators are saying and saying, you know what, this is maybe just a little too risky for me. I wonder what that means for crypto companies. We keep referring to what's going on now as Biddle season. There are a lot of companies popping up, a lot of companies getting funding from VCs and other sources, and they need a place to put their money. I wonder what that means for them. I recently was opening up a small business bank account. And one of the questions that the bank asked me was, are you involved in crypto in any way? And I said, you know, like, what does that mean? Can you give me more information? The person asking me had no idea what it meant or even what was involved in, in crypto. And they weren't able to give me any further information on what that meant. And so these like really broad terms, uh, I think, are, are there so that they can pick and choose whose accounts they're going to keep and whose accounts they're not and whose accounts they're just going to freeze and send you an email and say, actually, we don't offer services for you anymore. But it's really frustrating when the people you're talking to on the other end of the phone actually don't know what's going on. Zach? Yeah, you like check like the drugs and arms dealing boxes and then like no crypto. And they're like, okay, you're good. You're good. But if you check you're the crypto okay. box, yeah. like but you're in trouble. Like, for you. It's not happening. Literally, yeah. couldn't that lead to redlining though? Like I really feel that that could lead to redlining and other issues because if you're just like, you're looking at the person and the person's like, okay, well, like ask the question that Jen said. Like, what do you mean by this? And then they're like, you know, I don't like the way you look. So you're not going to get an account with us because you asked a question about crypto. I feel like that's going to end up being a big problem. And I don't like it. They need to get their stuff together. That was a good one. Well, I was just going to say, if you talk to people in financial services, the chatter is that a lot of people see this moment as an opportunity to uh, ensconce themselves, some of the bigger players into this market, the fidelities, et cetera, who are seeing this as a moment of opportunity. But again, there's other players who obviously are taking the alternate path. We're going to talk about this spicy Ethereum trade because we all know the markets are pumping and we're going to go to a million dollar Bitcoin by tomorrow. Just kidding, not financial advice. The Ether trade that made the most noise last week. A so-called whale placed a large buy order for the bearish put options tied to Ether, seeking protection against an extended price slide to below 400 by the end of June. Full disclosure, I do not trade options, so I'm not very familiar with them. They are risky to me. They make me feel scared. I don't necessarily like them, but we have to talk about it. So last week, um, a buy order for 50,000 contracts of Ethereum's 400 strike price put option expiring in June appeared on Durbit's order book. I believe that Durbit is owned by Three Arrows Capital. If Will wants to fact check that for me once I'm done. But apparently the order was placed as Ethereum was about $1,300. So the buyer is expecting a 69% slide in six months or so. I think the interesting piece here is that the trader paid a premium of 0.0095 ETH per contract because it doesn't seem like too terribly amount of money amounting to a total outlay of 380 ETH worth under $500,000. I don't know. I could be wrong there. But Will, do you know if Three Arrows Capital owns Durbit? I believe they're affiliated with them, right? Yeah, Zach can probably speak to this a little bit more. I believe they had some equity within Durbit, but that was about it. They didn't outright own the exchange. I think Durbit's pretty old exchange. Zach's not along, so that sounds pretty yeah, correct. Sure. And yeah, it, if you don't like it, tweet at us at Coindesk Podcast. We're there to take criticism <laughs> and feedback. We're always on Twitter. Trust us. All four of us are way too much on Twitter. Chronically online. I feel like I went back in a time machine when I saw this article, though, because this was a big headline, just like the banking stories back in 2020, where a lot of people were making derivative options or calls or puts or whatever on chain or on their favorite exchange. 
going into the bull market because you can make more money if you place the right call, right? So if you thought that Ether was going to hit 4K, well, you can buy the correct derivative contract at Deribit or somewhere else and make a little bit of money because you bet that the price is going up and it did go up. So it's a way to make a lot more money. But you can also use it on the way down for a few different purposes, including hedging uh, your risk if you have a lot of Ether and you think the price of Ether is going to go down. So if you want to keep the same USD value for whatever amount of digital assets you have right now, go ahead and purchase a derivative, uh, the correct one, of course, hopefully, because it is sort of a risky bet. And then you can shore up your USD position. Or if you think it's just going to go down, you can make some money on the downside. So we see this in both ways, right? Where a market is going up or down, we see a lot of derivatives here. Hedging is also really important. And this article goes into that at the end of it, where a lot of VC firms or hedge funds or crypto merchant banks out there, they purchase these things in order to protect the USD value of their firm, right? So if you're holding a lot of digital assets on your books, as a lot of these crypto VC companies are, well, it's not always great that you are holding those digital assets because they're so volatile. So you want to go purchase some sort of derivative to shore up your books, make sure that you're solvent no matter what happens with the market. So if you're reading this article, make sure to get all the way to the bottom because there includes some more information there. But to me, this is like time machine. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Well, I have a question for Wendy. If I'm not a trader, which I'm not, should I be taking anything away from the story? I read it and also was like, oh, this sounds freaky, but also not freaky because I'm, I'm not trading to, at this level. So what should I be taking away from this? You should be taken away from this. That number goes up and up only, always, all the time. It's always going to take sell. away. So I mean, this is going you're down. Good. No, I mean, it, it's cool. I think I really think like if you're not a trader, it's just kind of cool to see that people are still very actively interested in, you know, trading, especially large amounts. A lot of people got absolutely wrecked in this last cycle. So it's kind of good. It's good morale. It's positive because Bitcoin is doing really well. I looked at the chart earlier today. I looked at the altcoin market and especially some of the metaverse projects like the um, play to earn or whatever. They're going absolutely wild. So people are making money right now. Again, I don't think that the bottom's in, not financial advice. And just please be careful. Please have an entry exit, all that fun stuff. But yay, Bitcoin to the moon. Options do be scary. It's true. Yeah, this is about ETH. I mean, this is, I, I don't know. Like these, these are funny. These, like these are the data points that like crypto is awash in that stand out. Like some human actor, like place this thing based on some conviction that ETH is going to puke massively to $400. And more power to that person. It's a market expressing itself in real time. And you see the headlines on the way up where the price is especially high. And you see the headlines on the way down where the price is especially low. And that's why Omkar is the best in the business. So thanks, Omkar, mm. for highlighting this one. And thanks also to Will's point for doing some explanatory language toward the back end. Omkar, you the best. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Who's got the last story? I do. And guess what? We're not getting away from derivatives. We're just moving to oh, a different no. type of derivative. We're going to move to energy market derivatives, which Bitcoin miners are a big part of. As a disclosure, I do work for a Bitcoin mining company running media for them. So in this story, we see that Hive blockchain produced their monthly Bitcoin production numbers, pretty good numbers for the month. And then we also see that they actually made a lot of money selling energy back to the grid. So that is the real story here. It has been the story for Bitcoin miners for quite a while. So they earned about 184 Bitcoin and more Bitcoin equivalents just by curtailing energy during the month. They also mined about 213 Bitcoin over the same period. So they're down about 20% of Bitcoin mined month over month compared to the previous month. But that's okay because they sold a lot of energy back to the grid and made a nice buck on top of that. So we see actually a lot of miners doing this. Why? Because they sort of sit in nice places on the grid where they're able to soak up energy and then release it back to the market when the price to mine Bitcoin is too high or too low. 
And now markets are started thinking of Bitcoin miners actually as like energy reservoirs. So if the grid needs more energy, then these Bitcoin miners can just unplug or turn off and release energy back to the grid. And then the hospitals and the homes can continue having cheap energy. And then when those hospitals and homes don't need that energy that much, well, then these Bitcoin miners soak it up. And you see that we kind of create a more efficient energy market, or at least that's the play for right now. A lot of Bitcoin miners are running with. Jen, I'm going to throw the story over to you, get your take on it. Well, you know, I just have so many questions. So I came upon an article that Coindesk published last month and Jury Bolovich, who's the head of mining and staking at Foundry, also owned by DCG, just like Coindesk, said that miners who can sell power back to the grid, recapture heat from mining rigs and use stranded energy will have a competitive edge. Now, I think over the past, let's call it six months, we've seen a lot of mining companies file for bankruptcy. And so my question here is why isn't this happening more if it is a solution? And are we going to see other ways for mining companies to diversify as we get deeper and deeper into the recession and into winter? I saw Wendy throw her hand up, so I'll boot it up to her first. I just think that it's so interesting that mainstream media only reports on the negative aspects of Bitcoin. Like, this seems like a pretty cool story. Like, they, not, it sounds like they, and will correct me if I'm wrong, not a miner, not, you know, not good at this tech stuff, but it sounds like that they earned Bitcoin for using less power. And isn't that like a good thing for the environment? They're just expressing their savings in Bitcoin terms when really it's just money not, not lost. Like, is that what this story is about? I this love is, that this, we're this all just trying to figure it to out. I'm <laughs> looking like, to you, Will, hey. to let us know. Did we get it? Come on, Will. Like, tell us. Hey, Hello. Tell like, us. We shut down all the machines. And we by not running the machines, we didn't lose 184 Bitcoin. Therefore, we earned the equivalent. And we like gave Bitcoin. the power like back to the people like, or is that what's something? Going on? You guys what's all going have like on, little parts of it, but not quite there. So everyone has like a little bit. Yes. So yes, they did shut off. And yes, that does save them energy. But at the same time, they've already purchased that energy from the grid. And then they're able to resell it back to the grid at a slightly higher markup because the demand for energy is higher during that period. You do earn like a little bit of profit. And then to Wendy's point, you do give the energy back to the grid when they need it more. So you're not soaking it up and taking on that, that bad PR that I'm mining Bitcoin and Charlie at the hospital can't get his elbow fixed, right? So you have that angle as well. So there's a little bit of everything involved with this story for sure. And I, to Wendy's point as well, I think like this is a good story that's been covered pretty well by mainstream media. Like I haven't seen too many knock-on effects. There's a lot of people out there that don't like the energy story with Bitcoin mining. I think CNBC and Mackenzie Tagalos and a few others have done a very good job of covering this side of things. At the same time, I think it bears some more scrutiny, right? Like how does Bitcoin mining fit into energy markets? I think that's still something that's needing to be explored. We don't have a full picture yet. This could hurt in some places. It could help in a lot of places. So we don't quite know. Any other questions while I'm here on the spotlight? I can help out. I have a question. Maybe you can tell us about the go. the chip and these bu hive buzzers. Buzz the buzzers. <laughs> the hive buzzards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, getting, we're all getting can fired after this, that? guys. Everybody will stand. We'll stand. Yeah. We'll stand with the we're anymore. done. <laughs> okay, I will tell you about the chips before we peace out of here. So Intel is a huge manufacturer of chips, computers, that sort of thing. Bitcoin mining predominantly has made its ASICs, these computers that mine Bitcoin over in China, in Taiwan, Singapore, Indonesia. That's predominantly where they're made. Over the last two years, we've seen the Biden administration and a lot of other Western countries being like, hey, we should make these chips ourselves because we don't want to be dependent on these supply chains post-COVID. So Intel's are working on a lot of different chip designs including for Bitcoin mining. And they started producing these things only recently. 
Hive blockchain was one of the first customers for it, and they actually just got them installed. So what we're looking for now for the Bitcoin mining industry to see if this is actually something that's usable and competitive against other machines that are on the market right now. So there you go. There's your, there's your 30 second take on the Hive buzzards, as Jen put it. It's not really what they're called, but I kind of like the name more. <laughs> Can, Thanks, we, can we push this article to, can we buy some bots on Twitter and push this article to Liz Warren's feed? Just kidding. We shouldn't do that. Bots are bad. Never use bots. But that would Let's be funny because this is good for the environment, man. Will, you're really picking up our collective IQ today. So thanks so much. Three brainlets <laughs> and Will brought to you by Coinest TV. Thank you so much. That's it for the show today. <laughs> if we're here tomorrow, we're, we'll be happy for it. If not, I guess it's been a good run. Anyway, I'm Zach Seward, <laughs> Wendy O, Jen Sanassi, Will Foxley. Everyone's back from Vegas safe and sound. No need to promote CES stuff. We're here. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.